0: You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. Kolesnikov, who you can hear in the background playing the opening of Bach's Goldberg Variations earlier this year on the penultimate night of the BBC Proms, is, I put it to you, a performer who deserves a thoroughly good badge. Not only because he seems to possess an unfailing ability to make anything he creates for the keyboard sound like some kind of magical creation, but also because he's a game so-and-so. Full transparency here, When I knew I had a chance to meet Pavel, hailed, celebrated and applauded at the relatively tender age of 32, I was a bit nervous. And that's why, uncharacteristically for me, I prepared in advance of the interview. No surprise then that I made a point of covering all the important issues with him. After all, someone like him, someone who plays Bach's Goldberg Variations, should be able to tackle the tough questions. Tell me what your name is,
1: and who you are. I'm Pavel Kolesnikov, I'm a pianist. But who are you? Who I am? Uh, Myself.
0: (laughs) You're not going to be drawn
1: on that, or is that too difficult a question to answer? Well all sorts of things come to my mind when you ask this question, because... Uh, i was reading something recently on that subject of well basically of consciousness and uh, on defining uh, on the way a person defines themselves so i'm now starting thinking about all this <laughs> all these things so and i don't want to make it too complicated <laughs> so you've done your
0: research already so that's great or at least you played the ground you'll also be reassured to hear that I made a point of covering one other really important question, vital in some respects, partly inspired by me attending his prom's appearance earlier in the season with the Aurora Orchestra, an event followers of Thoroughly Good on Twitter may recall I took umbrage with for some spurious reason.
1: Yeah, you know these shoes <laughs> you are referring you to. Can see where I know. This is going. I know that made quite a splash. I was actually very surprised. I was really surprised, and it was not uh, uh, any kind of statement. But I take I take what I wear on stage very seriously. I have my thoughts about that. I think that basically there are few elements to it. One is that. I think it is, very, it is very important to wear something that suits the occasion. And as simple as it sounds, it's not very simple, because we are now ending up wearing things on stage, which we don't wear in normal life at all. And that becomes a costume drama. Yes. And this is something that I don't think is right for most occasions
0: as you'd expect pavel is not only game but considered a delightful 35 minutes conversation even if i say so myself so tell me who you are
1: um I don't know, there are lots of things. I am this person who grew up in Siberia and ended up living here in London uh, playing piano and really being very lucky with what I do in that sense that I really love doing what I do and I would not like to have another prof- another profession more than what I have. However, there are lots of things that I really would love to do if I had time. So maybe that describes me in some way. What would you like to do if you had more time? Lots of things. I would like to work in, in perfume industry. I would like to make perfumes. I would like to... Design things. I would like to be a potter. I would like to be a glass blower. I would like to be maybe a fashion designer. I definitely would like to be a, a photographer, a theatre director, probably film director, and what else? A gardener of sorts. <laughs> I didn't, expect, I didn't expect the list to be quite so long. Um, I'm not... It's quite a long list, and I often think how amazing it would be if we had... Uh, oh, I would like to be a winemaker. Uh, if we had longer life, basically. If we had something like, say, 600 years, and if we were not growing senile after (laughs) the (laughs) the first few decades, but we would be able just concentrate on one thing very in depth, and then bring it to some sort of climax and closure and move on to another thing. And I know of some people who were lucky enough to do something like this, even in our short span of life but I think unfortunately for most of us it takes about a lifetime to perfect skills in one area or another.
0: Do you recall the first time in your life when you went in depth into something? Because it strikes me that you are someone who loves to think deeply, go in deep.
1: You mean uh, professionally or...? Uh, in,
0: in any aspect of your life. I'm wondering where that began.
1: No, I can't answer this question. I always... I feel... I... Actually, in that respect, I changed quite little since my childhood. I always was like that. I like to concentrate on things. Are there, I mean, you come from a family of scientists, yeah. so presumably that is a family trait. Maybe I was... Yes, I
0: think it is a little bit of that. Does it also suggest that it's, it's quite an insular experience? Quite a an insular experience, an introverted experience.
1: For me it is, yes, for me it is. I am definitely an introverted person and I like to, to be independent and to, to be on my own and I get my energy basically from being on my own. I like to, I very much like to be with other people, but sometimes I need to recharge and and just be. I
0: recognize it as well. Where have you, you know, as your career took off, where have you experienced challenge or resistance?
1: That's a funny question. I think of myself often as a very lucky person because as I think about my career birth path, I have been meeting resistance along the way, as everyone does. But I also, all the way, I've been incredibly lucky with some people around me and some things happening from time to time. And I just don't think that I had particularly hard career path so far I've done a lot of work of course I was working very hard and ever ever since childhood I was working very hard in fact but uh, I know other people who were doing the same and and their career paths were much harder
0: the odd thing about these conversations is that when when one sort of sits down with someone you don't know then you start to build up a picture very quickly in conversation, it's just like any other conversation and my impression of you so far is that you are not someone who is in any way spoiled, you weren't spoiled as a child and that you have also, the other impression I have is that you have a strong vision of what it is that you want to do and when you want to do it and that's that makes me question. You know, have you experienced? That's why I asked the question about resistance and challenge. You know, what was what was the nature of that resistance, and how did you overcome it? Am I right in those assessments as well?
1: Well, the second part of, of your assessment, I hope you're right. I, although it changes from time to time. So, of course, sometimes I have those moments where I I question everything I do, and I'm not sure if. There is any worth in what I'm doing and in myself. Of course, there are those moments, but generally, I think I, or at least in, in any given moment, most given moments, I'm trusting the direction I'm going in. About uh, being spoiled. I don't know. You know... it's <laughs> you saying that you might have been? Is that- <laughs> I think I might have. I definitely, I definitely was very loved by my parents. That, but that's different. And maybe, that's, maybe that's different. I don't know where is the borderline. The thing is that, I, you know, I grew up in, in this time in Russia where it was for most parents, it was just from the material side of things, it was very difficult to speak to spoil a child, because there was nothing. There was absolutely no resources. Uh, And it was, I guess, if I looked at it objectively, maybe it was a rather tough childhood compared to what many children let's say in different countries at the same time experienced but i absolutely don't recall it like that i really had a very happy childhood uh, despite all the difficulties that uh, financial material difficulties that uh, we had at that time and i don't feel that i've been deprived of anything so i don't know if i was spoiled or not
0: What was the nature of that resistance that you talked about? And how did you overcome it? Uh, Sorry. You said that you, you had experienced resistance during your career, as many artists do. I'm wondering what the nature of that resistance was and
1: how you overcame it. Well, we can talk about the very basic things, like what it is like... To start a career of a musician, what it is like to go through numerous competitions, which I'm not a big fan of at all, and what it is like to be not very successful for a very long time. That is the pressure that most of my colleagues experience at some point and i don't even know if it's a it's if it's positive pressure i think it's positive for a little while but when it when you're under this pressure for too long it becomes really destructive and i also seen that on the colleagues of mine who were not very lucky with competitions and things like that and basically just kicking off starting off the career this is really difficult in our profession Mm. Probably I think it is more difficult in artistic professions than other professions Because you're never ever guaranteed anything at all And it's very much about luck Uh, On the If we go more in-depth Then I would say that there resistance or the obstacle or the problem that i am sometimes sometimes it's quite hard for me to deal with is that in our time and in our profession we start questioning the validity of the profession as such and uh, we start questioning how necessary it is, and how much people need that, and how long is it going to last, and what is the purpose of what we are doing. And this is—I actually think this is something quite new. I don't think it exists. This—these questions that we start asking ourselves, and which actually are very heavy burden. This is something that has not really existed before, well, the end of the 20th century, really. I don't think it ever was a problem. So, this is something new and this is something quite hard. And this is something that keeps coming back, yeah. Uh,
0: what is your recurring anxiety dream, or what is your recurring dream, actually? I
1: have a- I don't have many. I have um, a recurring dream. <laughs> Just remembered about it this morning. About losing my teeth. Losing mm. my teeth. Right. Okay. And I think it's quite a common recurring recurring dream. I had it for ages uh, in my twenties. Now I have it less often, but uh, still had it recently. It's very unpleasant. <laughs> and and I. Even looked it up at some point, and I think it has something to do with the danger of being disillusioned or severely disappointed in something. So maybe this is my anxiety.
0: Right, okay. losing faith. Okay. When did you first start having that, three? Oh, a long
1: time ago. I think, as in my late teens, probably. I mean, it, it, uh, I didn't expect you to tell me
0: that I'm not thinking about the teeth. I mean I asked you that question so I expected that that kind of answer but it strikes me that that kind of questioning about the validity of um, a career which is essentially what you're saying that's a lot to deal with
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I think it is Um, but I don't know if it's also something to deal with or it's just
0: or whether it's something that's created, is it, is it something that is created by, by a particular mindset?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't know if if there's any good in giving this time and thought, <laughs> <laughs> or it's better to just completely disregard it. But <laughs> most of the time, I just I manage to do it, I guess.
0: Right. Um, me about, uh, tell me about tell me about the gold gold boat variations. Tell me why you have uh, been drawn to these this year and after. I mean, I know what the process
1: has to be. So you know the, about the collaboration yeah, with Antares, yeah. of the Karys Marker, and all that. So that's basically that was it. This is why I decided to dive into it. Uh, when Antares approached me I had absolutely no desire to go into Goldberg's, I never considered that I was
0: Is that because there was a lack of desire or because it was daunting What what was that? Is that something that one avoids? Well, it actually so- never
1: visited m- my mind I grew up with this with listening to the recording of Glenn Gould the different recordings of Glenn Gould and I just never considered playing this piece, I mean, I, I like it very much, but first of all, for a very long time I was very skeptical about playing Bach at all, because I, for some reason I find it more difficult to find a way of playing Bach on contemporary instruments than many other Baroque composers. and. At the same time, I don't really consider playing historical instruments, at least at that point. And we can talk about why uh, later, if you want. So, I was not planning to play Bach. and even, However, at that time when this all happened, I started thinking that maybe I should. And I started looking for an entry point. And I was thinking about doing the three-part inventions, and then I got this offer, and my first reaction actually was no. I I thought that this is something this is a little bit too mad even for me to to start basically to start playing Bach because I never almost never played any Bach on stage. Uh, to start playing back with one of the most important pieces he has written I thought it was silly then I started looking at the piece and I realized that in fact this piece belongs to uh, this area that actually interests me a lot it's a transitional area there are those moments in the history of art where transition happens and you can see you can see styles shifting and you can see the styles and the aesthetics mixing and I'm always very attracted to those moments. So I suddenly recognized that in the in the Goldberg variations and then I thought that probably actually might work. And I thought it would also work because because of uh, how the our process of work with Anne Teresa would be set up. And Uh, because of the fact that I would be very much outside of my comfort zone working on that and that would provoke me to find solutions independently and this is what I wanted to do so this is why I decided to dive into it and it proved I want to say it proved successful I want to say it proved the right decision for me did you have a
0: question whether it was the right decision.
1: Mm, I usually don't ask myself if it was once <laughs> I start working but retrospectively yes <laughs> right. when I decide to do something I do it first <laughs> yes. and, and I finish it and I see I'm if it was right you know, or not did you see the way I sort
0: of clambered all over that <laughs> like, really what you mean you did it um, So, you like to be pushed out of the comfort zone and you are drawn to
1: transitions, you are energized by transitions. I am inspired, I don't know if I'm energized, I'm inspired by transitions, yes, and ambiguity. You're drawn to ambiguity, so you're seeking answers. No, I think I'm, well, in a way, yes. (laughs) Is there anyone who is not seeking answers? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm seeking uh, multiple points of view. This is what I like very much. And this also probably has to do with how I was growing up. I mean, it's a chicken and an egg question. I I don't know if it's my personality and this is why, this is how my life develops or or the other way around. But um, you know, I moved quite a lot. I moved from one culture into another. And it's quite a long way, you know, from Siberia to London, through Moscow. And during my studies, most of the time, I had multiple teachers, um, multiple mentors, who sometimes were, more, more often than not, were opposing each other and also i played this i played two different musical instruments for 10 years at the same time so maybe maybe this is natural for me oh, so you're accustom, oh,
0: actually what you're saying is you're accustomed to multiple perspectives yeah. not least because your mentors provided you with was yeah. it conflicting advice yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you seem very sort of calm and collected about it all. I don't I don't sense any sort of anger or irritation. No, no I
1: absolutely wasn't there ever irritated about it. And I I know it doesn't suit everyone, but for myself it definitely was very beneficial to, to have this multiple points of view and then being able to find my own subjective objectivity. <laughs> you know.
0: Uh I know nothing about Siberia. Please provide me with a description of what I might find if I went there. What would surprise me about Siberia?
1: Most people are surprised to find out that the summers are very hot in Siberia. Not everywhere, of course, because Siberia is large. But where I grew up, the summers can be very hot. And the winters are as, as cold as we imagine them. Uh, it, it is also amazingly cultured place uh, much more than people expect and yeah and it's very sparse it's, it's, it's a vast country with not so many people living there
0: <laughs> does that hint at one of the things that I mean d- does that make it a hostile place for you a barren place? I mean you said that it's culturally, you know, there's a lot of culture there. Yeah. Is it somewhere that you anticipate returning to?
1: N- no, because, <laughs> uh, n- no, to be honest I, I, I cannot imagine doing that, be- because maybe it's for the same reason that we were just talking about, about the multiple points of view, because I like I actually like living in very big cities, and there are not so many that I can imagine myself being in. I mean, I I cannot really imagine going to a smaller place than London. Uh, And that's because, again, such places, they provide you with a lot of independence by way of choice. And in places like Siberia, you don't really have that. Maybe... I don't know, it's a complex question. It's also very much about, uh, you know, some very simple material things, like the fact that it is very difficult to get to places from Siberia, and with the career that I aspire to have, uh, it just wouldn't be possible, it wouldn't work.
0: Uh, It strikes me as well that you would have been in... Living in London at a point in time when you were exposed to multiple perspectives, certainly politically.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Did you, what, what were your, and not that I'm wanting it to be political, but did you, I saw a country fracture, or at least its fracture, its yeah. fault line sort of exposed. What well, did you I, see? I was
1: amazed how quickly it happened and how strong yeah. it is and how many things are exposed and how how much it exposed the similarity of people's habits and reactions regardless of the place they live in. So of course I, am, I have no choice but comparing the situation to certain situations in, the, in, the, uh, in Russian history. <laughs> and it's quite remarkable how similar these process, processes are, regardless of the, of the place.
0: Did you at any time feel like, I mean, my sense is that you wanted to be in London, that you are drawn to London. Did you at any point during that time think, actually, this is not the place for me. I don't feel welcome.
1: No. No. Basically,
0: I, I could see that you would feel welcome, but
1: I wonder whether it's a of Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that I culturally felt welcomed in London at any point, ever. I first found, when I first came, came to the UK, I actually found it, the situation a little bit hostile. And that was for the first few years that I was living here, I was not sure if it was the right place for me. Then I realized that it wasn't hostile, it was just very neutral. And this is what, by now, I really value about this place. And that I I don't know if it will it will change or not. We will see. Uh, but as in that you can be I mean, other people I've heard describe
0: London as being somewhere that you can be quite anonymous. In. Is that yeah. is that what you mean by? Yeah, this?
1: yeah. You can be very anonymous, and you are you don't have to, you don't have to be things. Also, there's very little expectations towards you. What you. Have to be or have not to be and that i think i think that this is actually quite unique for for uh, if i compare it to any other big capitals that i experienced uh like well paris new york moscow rome those are the, the four that i know a little bit uh, london is definitely the the most relaxed in that sense and the most neutral that's that's still the case for you? I think that still is the case. And that's what I like very much about it. Uh,
0: My penultimate question, I've got two more questions to go. Penultimate question is, uh, imagine that you are going to a place in the world where there is no 4G coverage. It rains and there's no piano that you have access to. What do you take with you and what do you do whilst you're there?
1: Camera. I will take my camera. I will take all the books that I um, have no time to read. <laughs> uh, three books. Okay, well, I have to... one of the three books. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can not I will okay. structure this question better. You. Three books. Uh, my camera, definitely. Uh, maybe I would... Because uh, one thing that I haven't mentioned, I also would like to compose music very much. And at some point, I think I will. I'm already starting and making attempts. But I think that requires... Again, dedication and time. You cannot do it between things. So I would definitely take a, you know, the instruments of music writing <laughs>
0: with me. what are the three books
1: that you take? Oh gosh.
0: Uh say I'm mm-hmm. doctor bone, but I won't let this kind of thing go.
1: I don't know, I don't have a Would mm-hmm. you just pick That's them the off the shelf? The yeah, I would basically I would put pick, yeah. pick them yeah. off the shelf, the yeah. books that I Wanted to read, but I I have not read at the moment. The, this big fat books that I really want to read is uh, one is Francis Bacon biography. Uh, another one would be Andre Bely, Saint Petersburg. Uh, Third one. (laughs) I hadn't realized you were quite so tense. (laughs) (laughs) The third one. I don't know, maybe. Maybe a big album with a biography in it of either Bellini or El Greco. Um,
0: You mentioned earlier on that you're one other career that you wanted consider it it's fashion design. Yeah.
1: Does this account
0: for your love of stylish outfits on stage?
1: Yeah, well, it's connected. I just... I, I, so I want
0: to ask you about shoes in
1: particular. Yeah, you know, these shoes <laughs> you're referring <laughs> you to. I know, I know they made quite a splash. I was actually very surprised. I was really surprised and it was not uh, uh, any kind of statement. But I take, I take what I wear on stage very seriously. I have my thoughts about that. I think that basically there are a few elements to it. One is that I think it is, very, it is very important to wear something that suits the occasion. And as simple as it sounds, it's not very simple because we are now ending up, particularly male performers, we end up wearing things on stage which we don't wear in normal life at all and that becomes a costume drama. And this is something that I don't think is right for most occasions. I think this attire that is now a traditional concert attire has formed... At the times where it was not something that you would uniquely wear on stage, right? You would wear the same kind of thing to a fancy restaurant, for instance, or to a reception, or to you know, to a romantic dinner. But now we really don't. So this kind of clothes, it looks, it just looks strange and alienating when I see it from the perspective of the audience. So that's one thing. And another thing which is very important is that you wear something that you feel comfortable in and that suits, in some way, suits the music that you play as well. So I don't have one go-to... costume that I wear on stage. No, I know I wouldn't ask you. Every, seems a every time I'm playing, although it's of course a rotating... It's a rather limited range of things that I wear. I mean, I have a few jackets, a few shirts, okay. a few no, pairs of pants and a few pairs of shoes. Really <laughs> but... Did you wear socks? I at the, the proms? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wear yeah. little socks inside <laughs> the I, shoes. The, these are the kind
0: of details I need to check out. Yeah. I, yeah okay. Do you think, were you surprised by the
1: reaction? I was surprised by the reaction. What
0: surprised you the most? Did you think, oh, they're stuffy audience members? No, Why I surprised they like that?
1: that there was so much attention paid to that. They were bright orange, though. They were bright Not orange. that there's
0: anything anything wrong with bright orange, but they did draw the
1: eye. Yeah, but that was, you know, that was a prom uh, rather... It was not a particularly, uh, how to say, f- n- intensely philosophical program. It was it was a rather light-hearted program with, with an edge. With an edge. It was an ent- entertaining program and it was with Aurora Orchestra. It was not with We've I don't need to justify <laughs> yeah. yeah, so no, I'm just describing my my yeah. thought process because obviously I was thinking again and I had another pair of sneakers and I. What color were they? Mm, green.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you wear them? I thought that would be.
1: Well, that would I, be too far. No, either. I basically. <laughs> I thought the color wouldn't look well with, with the rest of the colors on the page. that was my consideration oh, there's one one more thing that I forgot to mention one more element so it has to fit the occasion it has to be uh, comfortable and uh, comfortable emotionally also for me to play in and I think it's also also very important that it is aesthetically pleasing at least, uh, of course, that's that's very subjective, <laughs> but I put a lot of thought into this. So, I I thought it was looking good, and this is my word. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you?
0: Mm, no. It always boxes no. thank well, Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast presented by John Jacob. Follow Thoroughly Good on Twitter at Thoroughly Good, Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram, and Thoroughly Good Me on Facebook. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on any half-decent podcast platform, like Google or Amazon or Spotify, plus some others you might not have heard of.